Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that gets you smarter, faster on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, Apple's big announcement and a fascinating fight over spin bikes. But first, the financial crisis revisited. Saturday will mark the 10-year anniversary of Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy, which is viewed by many as the official start to what became the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Now, there had been plenty of warning signs beforehand, including negative GDP in the first quarter of 2008 and the collapse of Bear Stearns, but in general, most folks didn't see it coming. So for those who are too young to really appreciate the financial crisis, all I can tell you is that there was legitimate fear that the entire system would melt down. People rushed to ATMs to take out money, worried they wouldn't be able to do so much longer, and it wasn't an irrational or paranoid thing to do. So fast forward 10 years, and we're still actually feeling the impact of what luckily became a crisis instead of a collapse. So for starters, we kind of now just accept government bailouts for private business owners, as evidenced by what President Trump just did with farmers as it relates to tariffs. And we also have a fundamental distrust of Wall Street, which previously was viewed more with kind of this listless sort of loathing. Plus, there's a whole generation that has a fundamental disinterest in buying big items like houses or cars. But perhaps the financial crisis's biggest consequence was the one we touched on briefly in Tuesday's podcast, in that it helped create our polarized politics. The Tea Party, which led to Donald Trump, was a direct response to President Obama's stimulus plan. Occupy Wall Street, which introduced us to Elizabeth Warren and elevated Democratic socialists like Bernie Sanders, was a direct response to income inequality exacerbated by the financial crisis and the seeming lack of banker accountability for the mess they created. Bottom line, it's been 10 years, but the financial crisis isn't really in the rearview mirror. In 15 seconds, we'll be joined by Neil Cavuto, managing editor of Fox Business Network and Fox News Channel. But first, a reminder to sign up for Axios Edge, our new must-read weekly newsletter covering the big stories that will drive the business world. It's written by Felix Salmon and launches this Sunday. You can get it by going to signup.axios.com. We're joined now by Neil Cavuto, Managing Editor of Fox Business Network and Fox News Channel. So, Neil, take us back to mid-September 2008. Do you remember where you were or at least what your reaction was when you first heard that Lehman Brothers was actually done? I remember quite well. We were on the main editorial desk going over developments because we were already in kind of fast market conditions, if you recall, Dan, we were surprised that the government let it happen because there were others that it was rumored to be saving, that it wouldn't let anyone go. There was a calculated gambit on keeping Lehman up and operating. And so we realized at that time, this is pretty serious if a firm of this magnitude, and Lehman was really a giant, was allowed to follow, would, would, would others follow? And there was a sort of a roaring debate at the time, who's next or what would happen if they could go ahead and let it happen to Lehman? Would they let it happen to a Merrill Lynch who was sure. already being kind of wooed by a Bank of America? You remember all of that? Yep. Set in, in stone things that were very similar, I remember, to the 9-11 coverage where you were hearing one report and then another report and and people were trying to connect this missing plane and that missing plane. Very different stories, but the same sort of, uh-oh, what's next kind of thing. In your mind, did you think, it, particularly as that day and that week went on, that there was an actual possibility that we weren't just looking at a major stock market crash and, and obviously lots of people losing their jobs on Wall Street and perhaps losing their houses, et cetera, but that the entire kind of American economic system could actually collapse, which we've seen in other countries, but had never really considered as a real possibility here? No, I think a lot of people felt that. I, I, I felt with this clear and apparent freezing out that was going on anecdotally, I'd heard from 
a graduate school friend of mine who was in the process of getting financing for a small business where they just canceled everything right at the moment. And he had called me frantically saying, Neil, what's up? What's going on? Good credit score, background, and everything was set to go. And they just pulled the rug out from under me. And anecdotally, we were getting stories like that. So there was a credit freeze that was in effect. And it was compounded by the sell-off in the market. People forget, Dan, I think in retrospect, that the sell-off was the capital that was used to do all of that stuff. Yep. So sometimes when we talk about banks to this day being well capitalized just in case, all the capitalization in the world can't free you from the possibility that your your real capital, your your worth in the market is melting down. That was quite palpable, quite real. When you look back at the financial crisis, the driving force or, or call it the original sin was kind of the housing boom and how Wall Street created all these complicated and connected securities that kind of relied on housing prices to keep rising or at least remain stable. Why do you think most of us, and by that I mean us in the business media, didn't seem to realize or at least appreciate the danger until it was smacking us in the face? Many did. We would always look, I know, uh, uh, on our shows, I remember FBN, Fox Business Network, started in 2007, so in the middle of this recession that was gripping us, and a few months later, the meltdown. And we did look at some anomalies out there, like, uh, you know, the no-doc loans and wild sort of phenomenon going on in Florida, where people were buying condos sight unseen, selling them before the building was even up and finished, and selling it to someone else who would do the same thing before the building wasn't finished. And they were clearly just for investment purposes and to make a lot of money. Do you think there is something we're, if not missing, that, that there is a time bomb, whether it's emerging market debt or something else that's potentially sitting under us right now? Well, there always is, Dan. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. You've heard that maxim used again and again. The one thing that takes a bull market down is not old age, but something we didn't see coming. We get pieces of it right now. It might not be a mortgage-backed security problem or a portfolio insurance problem, as was the case in the, prior to the 87 crash, or people who thought they could shield themselves from market disaster. But I do see some things happening where they're getting back to risky loans again, not to the degree they did back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and even ahead of the meltdown in 2008. But I even see it in auto lending. I see it where they're being very aggressive and giving loans to almost anyone and for any period. I mean, seven-year auto loans just to make sure you, you can make the payments. You know, maybe your car will last seven years, but I think it, that kind of stuff is always noteworthy. You watch it. Having said that, the flip is that I don't see, even though the market's gotten rich, given the lower tax rates and given the improving earnings, it's not as rich as it's been at, at sort of bubble periods in the past. That's not to give it a pass, but I don't think it's the same in that regard. You could argue because of the lower tax rates, because of the lower rates in general, the interest rates, we have maybe a little bit less of a buffer. I wonder, Neil, when you look back 10 years... Well, I don't know uh, less of do a disagree? buffer there, Dan. I know what you're saying, but you have an environment that can afford a richer market. You're right, it could come back to bite you, but you can make a mathematical argument that given corporations' lower tax responsibilities now, we could debate whether that's a good or bad thing, that it has improved their multiples. And that is one of the reasons you hear from market bulls, oh, this has some life to go. That's true. Neil, looking back 10 years, but coming forward to today, what do you believe was the most lasting long-term consequence of the financial crisis? Not for individuals who say lost their house, et cetera, which was obviously very difficult, but kind of broader, whether that be economic or political. The old notion, it can't happen to me. My neighbor might be getting in too deep, but I'm not. My neighbor might be taking on a lot of debt and unable to pay it back, but I won't. My neighbor's making a risky investment, but I'm not. Even those banks who lend 
our bank can afford taking on this risk, but that other bank can't. There's a sort of a cockiness that develops in go-go times where you think you're bulletproof or you're looking at your portfolio return and thinking all of a sudden you're Warren Buffett. I think that is what's dangerous. I think you have to be very, very careful and, 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 and keep your head about you and be modest and humble enough to know that market forces and other forces can eat you alive. I think that what people have to realize is they're not above historical forces. They're not above getting caught up in a wave of selling that could be triggered by something as innocuous as a computer crash. I think when people get to the point where they start believing their own press clippings or start thinking that they're a genius or start thinking that simply because they were lucky enough to be invested in Apple or Amazon or Facebook or Google, and that has been a disproportionate the run-up in the NASDAQ, that you're Peter Lynch. You're not. You've had a good ride. And I always advise people to keep your head about you and keep a balance about you and, and try not to point fingers. Thank you so much, Neil Cavuto, who is not Warren Buffett or Peter Lynch, but who you can catch every day on Fox Business from noon to two and Fox News Channel from four to five and on the weekends, too, because two shows apparently isn't enough. Neil, thank you so much. My final two after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C., Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. And now it's time for my final two. And first up is Apple. Yesterday, the company had its annual product unveil. And in the words of Axios's Ina Freed, it continued to be the master of the incremental, offering up slightly improved versions of existing products like the iPhone. So no big hardware content announcements. But that isn't to say that Apple didn't make us all sit up and take a bit of notice. Specifically, it said that new Apple Watches will have two FDA-approved electrocardiogram apps, which could detect irregular heart rhythms, the sorts of big warning signs that neither you nor your doctor might normally notice. So expect this to be the tipping point for many who previously haven't cared about paying big money for what seemed to be just an iPhone on your wrist. And finally, Peloton. The maker of those high-end connected spin bikes is suing rival Flywheel, accusing it of ripping off some of its technology. But the surprise twist here is that Peloton believes Michael Milken, the 1980s junk bond king, was the illicit middleman, pretending to have interest in investing in Peloton, obtaining confidential info, and then allegedly giving it to Flywheel, where it turns out Milken already had a multi-million dollar investment. Milken, who isn't named as a defendant, denies wrongdoing. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my ProRata newsletter at GetProRata.Axios.com. Have a great National Peanut Day, and we'll be back Monday with another ProRata podcast.